This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Hope Today Radio. My name is Chris Hamling and I'm your host tonight as a whole panel of us look back at the Christmas period, look at the games, look at the things that annoyed us, the things that we thought were fantastic and we'll also be looking ahead um, in addition to the Brighton game coming up on Monday, giving our views as well. We've got an extended panel for you today, including a debut for Mr. Les Gill. Hi Les. Hello. Hello, welcome to Home Today Radio I'm sure you're going to do a fine job today. Thank you, Chris. No worries, mate. <laughs> <laughs> here, didn't I? He did. <laughs> uh, also on the panel today, we have Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Hello. Hello, Patrick. And we have Tim Warren as well. Good evening. Thanks for remembering my surname. Oh, it was close as well. I nearly forgot. I genuinely nearly forgot again. I don't know what it is. Just a mental problem I've got with you. Anyway, that's the panel. You can't get in touch with us this week because it is a podcast only. But obviously, you can contact us during the course of the week uh, for anything you ask to talk about future shows that's on hmlradio.net forward slash contact me and the panel will be back in just a moment there are 99 reasons to hate brighton homophobia homophobia doesn't need to be one of them follow us on twitter at proud and palace right we're back from that wonderful message um and obviously it's uh it's been a while. We're feeling a little rusty. I'm on some very strong painkillers, which is why I'm struggling quite so badly. But fortunately, the team are here to back me up. And um, I think it's, it's obviously since we last did a proper show, I think the last show was the Bournemouth review. Um, and then Terence previewed the Swansea game. And then that was pretty much it. But we've dipped in and out of things. We've had a couple of podcasts where one was with DR and I and someone else no just dear and i think it was oh and lucy on the phone reviewing the leicester game uh and also ed dr and i reviewed our oh, fantastic victory against southampton but we'll revisit those in a in a bit but um let's let's start back uh back at swansea and some sort of general comments about the christmas christmas period but um patrick going back to swansea i actually they they were a kind of um 
a defining moment for you when you you visited to watch a nil nil draw between Palace and Swansea at Celeste, and that's <laughs> the precise moment that Alan Pardew forgot how to win football matches with us, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it, it was kind of actually the it was the next match when we lost when we lost to Chelsea that really went kind of tips up for us, but um. Yeah, uh, I was definitely new, and that's when Nav started calling me a jinx, and he's not wrong. No, <laughs> no. we've managed yeah. to shake that though. But uh, I mean, obviously, going back um, again, I don't know, you know how fresh people's memories are, but we'd uh, obviously had the situation against uh, Bournemouth where Benteke had missed the penalty after stealing it from Luca, and uh, Luca actually nets a penalty in this game, and it's a late strike from Jordan Ayew that actually got a point back for Swansea. And this was kind of one of those must-win games but that we didn't end up winning. Um, obviously, things have gone better since then, but I think it's important to say. Um, so, again, going back to you, Patrick, in, in general, this, this holiday period, it's been a particularly positive one for Palace, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would definitely say so. If you had told me we'd got as many points as we got over that period, I'd have... You know, we're taking. We had some very tough matches. You know, Swansea away, Arsenal, Man City, Southampton. I mean, you know, we we really couldn't have really gotten a much uh, harder of a Christmas period. And to come out with the points we came out with, I think it's good. Uh, a little disappointed in this Swansea match. I'll be honest with you, but again, them having you know just fired their manager, getting a new manager in, you kind of had a feeling that we would win that game. And I don't remember the last time we actually won it at Swansea. I mean, I know we had the one ones a couple of years, the last couple of years actually. So. That's a pretty standard result for us. But again, looking over the period, I think based on who we played and how we played and a great job the Roy did, I think the point we got over the holiday period was very, very good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously that, that game was back on the, the 23rd of December, Les. So again, not fresh in your memory, but we, you know, we all talked about how difficult it was going to be facing the likes of Arsenal and Manchester City. So everyone saw Swansea as the game where we had to pick up three points. And um, given the fact that we drew it, well, did, did you have a bit of apprehension going into the rest of those games? Um, I think so. What concerned me with Swansea was, um, obviously, we didn't we didn't have any strikers up front. We played Wilf and Townsend, I think, up there, didn't we? Um, possession. I mean, Swansea had 65% possession. Um we had more shots. So I, I, to be honest, I was a bit apprehensive. But then the Arsenal-Man City games, they're the sort of games where anything can happen with Palace, um, especially at home. So I kind of expected something to happen in one of them. Um, it could have been a lot better, obviously, yeah. with the, the City game. But um, it doesn't surprise me, Palace being Palace, that we, we, we drew at Swansea and very nearly beat Man City. But... Um, it would have been nice to hold on to that that three points away to Swansea, I think. But it's it's it's, it's still a point, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say it's, it's funny you bring it up. Is exactly where I was going to go with it because you know you, it was a disappointment against Swansea, and then you look to the next two games, and we've kind of been talking about writing ourselves off on those. And it was actually we got it the wrong way around. I fancied us to get something against Arsenal before Man City destroyed us, and I think a lot of people kind of thought similar. But you know, it was it was. To lose the way we did against Arsenal, it was, again, it kind of, I think people reacted stronger to that than I thought they would. In fact, stronger than they did to to throw away potentially a couple of points um, against Swansea. Tim, go bring you back in on, on this. Um, you know, again, obviously, draw against Swansea going into that Arsenal game and ended up losing that. You know, we, we were in fear at that point of, of, of undoing a good work with them. Yeah, I mean... We were looking at that eight-game period before Christmas as the vital ones to get the points from. And to be honest, on that run, I mean, we picked up points all the way through those eight games. Um, I mean, the Leicester one was absolutely amazing. 
Um, and then, yeah, we kind of brought a little bit back down to earth at Swansea. But having said that, you know, like it's been pointed out, our record there is not great anyway. And after the, the disaster of last year, um, I think actually in the end, the point was a very good, you know, good point there. Although obviously to go one nil up and, and concede so late is obviously, you know, a little bit disappointing. But, you know, fair play to Roy. He, he managed to get points in all those eight games and it, and it set us up for the Christmas period really, really nicely. Yeah, go for it, Patrick. Yeah, um, my point being uh, Arsenal versus Man City, I think that Roy learned a lot from the Arsenal match. I mean, we all would see that in that Arsenal game, we really set off Arsenal, didn't press them until the second half. And I think the Man City game, Man City and Arsenal kind of play a similar type of style of play. And I think that he really learned from that game. And the reason I think we got as much as we got out of Man City, the point which could have been three, was because of the style that the Roy chose to play. So again, I was disappointed in the Arsenal game. And Les is right. Usually I would, I would have probably picked getting something out of Arsenal versus Man City. Um, I think the tactics that Roy chose to use against Man City, which he learned from Arsenal, were very key for us getting that point. That's, that's a really good point, Patrick, I think. You know, that that was we we you know you had to approach those games in in a similar way, but he shifted the formation, didn't he? Because he, he went back to, right. the, to the one up top against Man City. Uh, but it's yep. interesting, though, what he asked about Benteke in in that game. He asked him kind <laughs> yes, of t- yes, t- yes. hell of a lot, and Benteke was getting all this huge amounts of criticism for not running <laughs> running and chasing channels. But you could see tactically, and I, and I ranted about this on the pod, podcast with. <laughs> Right, um, but you could see that he was actually doing the job he was asked to because it was a little bit unnatural for him. You could actually kind of almost watch the cogs turning in his head as he started wandering forward and suddenly realizing that you know because Man City had the ball, which they had an awful lot, that that it was his job to actually tuck in and make an extra man in midfield and and let the sort of pace of Zaha and, and Townsend at times sort of be the, the presence up top. Um, and I thought he did that job pretty well. But Les, it's, you know, your first opportunity to talk about your views. Uh, on Christian Benteke because we've all talked uh, an awful lot. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a sore subject at the moment, isn't it, with Benteke? It's um, obviously he's been on not the the richest of goal scoring form. Um, there's been question marks I've seen around his work rate. Um, a lot of people pointing the finger at the fact that he's got no competition for places. But for me, what you've got with Benteke is one of the most technically gifted strikers that we've had for a long time. Um, you know, people refer back to Shamak as being, you know, probably one of the most gifted centre forwards we had, just minus the goals. But Benteke will win your games. Um, when you've got the the wide men we've got, um, you know, he's, he's always a threat. Um, I know he's not at the best of time, but for me, the, the penalty incident was an unfortunate one. But then, you know, referring back to that, I don't want to go too off topic, but with that penalty situation, you know, he should obey team orders. But I'm looking at a guy who's not scored for how many games is it? Nine, ten? I can't remember off the top I think of my it's head. Eleven at the time, yeah. Eleven, yeah. He's not scored eleven times. To pick that ball up and demand it and push people out of the way, yes, it was the wrong team decision, but it was kind of the attitude that maybe you'd want to see. You'd expect him to hide, but he he, he didn't want to hide and yeah, he fluffed it, and um, the rest is obviously his history. But I saw a guy who really wanted to turn things around there. Um, I know the natural reaction for most fans is to just, you know, go mental at him because he's disobeyed team orders. But I, I like the fact that he had the balls and he, he wanted to actually, you know, turn things around and, and, and take that responsibility because, you know, if, if it was me, 
I'd have hid behind more than one player, <laughs> the penalty taker, because, you know, confidence would be low. But, um, you know, and then obviously, was it Leicester away when he when he scored his it was, yeah, trade, yeah. trademark goal? And I was pleased for him. He's, he's getting a lot of abuse. Um, yeah, his work rate could improve, but, you know, how much of the balls he getting? Our confidence is probably low. He's a confidence player, but when he's got confidence, look at Chelsea away last year. That goal he scored there. Oh. He, when he's in, when he's confident, he's one of the most technically gifted players. So I just I can't imagine him, you know, fizzling out and becoming a poor signing for us. He, he's had a bad run, but it will be it will still be our best striker, no matter who we sign in in the, the transfer window. And he maybe needs competition. He needs competition for places. You know, his only competition for places is Connor Wickham. I don't know if you remember him. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he needs people up there, and he needs people pushing him. He needs people with him in training, and you know, just give him a bit of a spring in step. And you know, hopefully he'll push on now and um, start scoring in the second half of last season because. He is one of our most technically gifted players, and totally. he's a fr- he's a threat. So totally you know, um, it's um, yeah. So I'm kind of mixed on him if I'm honest. No, I'm not 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 like aggressively abusive towards him, um, but I'm not naive enough to sit here and say you know he's fantastic at the moment. But he is a fantastic player. He's an international player. Um, you know, Liverpool signed him for for a reason. It didn't work out there for whatever reason, but I think that was more to do with style of play than anything. But well, yeah, there is we're lucky. We're we're lucky to have a player of that calibre. I know he's not been great lately, but it doesn't mean he can't turn it around and have a great second half of the season. Sure, and, and there is that argument over style of play with us. But um, I'll, I'll come back to that in a bit because I know Tim's champion at the bit to get in there as well. Tim, well, actually, linked to what you just said there and what Les was was um, saying as well. I think to be fair, we're, we're still not playing to the strengths of Benteke. Uh, and I think to get the best out of him, we do need to get more of those balls into the box like Townsend put in at Leicester, to be honest, because um, as much as Benteke's doing a great job for the team as he did against City, where he's working hard, I mean, I could see he was working hard, even though some around me were still very critical of him. Um, I still like, would like to see us get the best out of Benteke, and I think for that, we just need to, to play to, um, to his strengths a bit more than what we actually do. You, you, I certainly agree with you in terms of getting him scoring goals, uh, but what I thought was interesting... Uh, against Southampton. And again, if you want to visit that in detail, do check out the, the, the podcast we released on that. But uh, to sort of touch on what, what I talked about there with uh, with DR and Ed, you know, Benteke was absolutely key in the second half to the goals that we scored. Um, you know, it was all about controlling the ball, holding it up in the right areas and playing off the right pass and that kind of stuff. And he was, he was dominant. Um, but to sort of highlight what you're talking about uh, with with people giving him a stick to him, it's it's funny. We, there was we, again we talked about this, but there was a there was a long sort of crossfield sort of pass that drifted into the penalty area and was just headed out without Benteke making a challenge on the defender. But the, you know the criticism from someone in front of us in the crowd was, you know, why aren't you trying to head that Benteke? Why aren't you you know why aren't you running 25 yards across and jumping up? For a header, you're, you know you're not going to win, but just just for the sake of challenging, and I think there's there's a difference between someone who who chases the what you what you kind of call a, a lost cause, you know, somebody runs into channels and puts people under pressure and that sort of stuff, and, and someone who just realizes when there's absolutely no point, and yeah. he was being criticised for trying to for not going for a header where there was no point going for it. It was way away from him, you know. He was better off doing exactly which, what he did, which was sort of move back into position and anticipate maybe getting a 
getting hold of the ball if we were to win the second ball from the header, that kind of stuff. And it, it's for me, it's people have started to get unreasonable expectations on Benteke. And I, and I don't really understand where that's come from. I think part of it's possibly price tag. Part of it is he's out of form and, and can be accused of of not, you know, putting putting a hundred percent in at some sometimes. You know, he sometimes he doesn't chase stuff he probably should. You know, I think there's there's a lot of argument about that, about whether he could give extra. And I think he certainly could. But for for a presence in the box, it's very rare that he's getting the level of service that he requires. And it doesn't matter who you put in there. If you don't, as you say to him, play to the strengths of that player, you know, then then it's very hard if you're criticising that player for it. Uh, go on, let's... I think the thing with Benteke, a lot of people have been highlighting his movement um, or lack of movement. But you've got to wonder what his instructions are with the likes of Zaha and Townsend out wide. You know, what sort of runs would you expect him to make? Would you expect him to, to hit the channels? Is, is he being asked to stay central and stay as that focal point to create more space for for Townsend and uh, Zaha? And one thing I think we could really do within the January transfer window, which would help um, Ben Teke, is a really good number 10, um, someone who's going to make them Lampard-type runs into the box because sometimes when the ball does come to him, you just don't see that second player joining him. Um, exactly. I just think we could really do with a number 10 who is going to get in the box as soon as that ball's going towards Benteke. He needs well, someone there making them runs that he'll be able to, to know and, and feed off. Just like, you know, you look at the goals, again, I referred to Chelsea away last season because it's one of Benteke's highlights for me, but the way him and Zaha linked together was incredible and People don't want Zaha playing central, but when he does play central, I get that, by the way, because he is more effective on the left, but when he plays central, I think he brings Benteke out because their link-up play together is incredible and Zaha's arriving in the box and I think he needs, you know, we're never going to play two up front, but we need, we've got some good central midfielders, but have we got one who's going to make them runs into the box, like, you know, like Lampard in his Chelsea days type thing? It's interesting you bring bring that up because obviously if you look at the goals we have scored recently, you know, in particular with MacArthur uh, against Southampton, you know, that is where we've got that extra player into the box. And I totally agree with you. What's interesting to me at times is when we do put the ball in the box, you know, you talk about where, you know, if Benteke making the right movement. Well, if you're the only one in there, it's very, very tough, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, it's absolutely. It's incredibly difficult. Premier League defenders, defenders you know. yeah. I mean, I always hoped it would be Kabai, um, being that number 10. I think that was where he was more effective at Newcastle. But he's kind of played more of a holding role. And obviously now he's, you know, there's question marks about 90 minutes and making them runs, which is understandable. I suppose he's played a lot of football throughout his career. And, you know, what's he, 31 now? But um, McArthur, obviously... He's had a good few games lately. He's scored goals because he's played in that advanced role. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, he's a great, he's a great player, but I don't think he's going to be our, you know, number 10 for the next five, six years. So <laughs> it'd be nice to see an exciting number 10 come in who who could link up with Ben Teke the way Zaha does when he plays central, but not needing Zaha to do that. So Zaha can be out wide and, and be as effective as he is out there. Great. It's, uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk, definitely be talking more about the kind of business we want to see in the transfer in just a moment. I want to give you a sure. quick chance, Patrick, to uh, to get any views across the you have on what we've just talked about with, with Benteke before we move on to some other bits. Yeah, it goes back to kind of what I was saying about um, Hodgson. I think the way we're playing, 
though it brings in certain strengths that Benteke has, it doesn't bring in all of his strengths. And one of the key ones Tim had mentioned is just crossing into the box. He doesn't get a lot of chances to score. He just doesn't. Um, so when he sets his a chance and misses, that's how I can see the frustration that fans get. Um, what I like about what he's done, like you guys have been talking about, is a link-up play. I think he's, his link-up play with, with Zaha has been excellent. And I think the header that he set up MacArthur was a brilliant header. It was a great ball from Townsend, but the header was very unselfish. He could have gone for goal. He, uh, he saw the runners. It was both uh, MacArthur and Van Arnholt on, on the back post. And the, uh, it was a great header and a great finish by MacArthur. So, again, people criticised him. Um, again, the, the running chicken right ahead, I don't understand that that uh, that that complaint. Because, again, if you understand how Hudson's trying to play, that's one he doesn't always want our forwards trip chasing down balls for no reason. Yeah. You know, saving energy for other things. But again, I've got no problem with him. I like him to score more goals. I wasn't happy with the penalty situation. But again, as a as a striker, I think he's done a you know a decent job this year. More goals would be would be welcome. But again, I, I think the, the criticism, as I've said many times before, just over the top. Well let's have a look at um in, in general over this period. Obviously we've had to play an awful lot of games in quick succession. And yep. Roy has been very, very keen to talk about how stretched the squad is. We've had some injuries <laughs> Uh, to say the least, and and there's, there's there's a couple of ways we can go in talking about the injuries, and obviously particularly around the the city game, because um, that brings us kind of into the media discussion, which also brings us into the Wilfred Zaha discussion. So it's difficult to know which way to go first, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> so I think if we if we talk about the the media stuff first, and then we'll come back to the the, the, the stretch squad in a, in a little bit, because then we can start talking about what we see, want to see in the transfer window. So. Um, I mean, it, the the media stuff was high was was at its most intense with the, the Man City game because you had Jason Punchin basically being accused of attempted murder of Kevin De Bruyne, <laughs> who, funnily enough, was able to play in the next game, whereas Punch is out for the season. And you had um, obviously the the accusations of diving with Wilfred Zaha. Um, I mean, where where to start with that? I really don't know. And obviously, Steve Parrish has come out and put an article out in the, the Daily Mail giving his views and making it very, very clear. He thinks there's an agenda against Zaha, and I certainly believe that. But if we start with um, with the punch and foul, because uh, obviously punch has put himself out, and you know, not much attention was given in the media to the fact that Scott Downer was also out for for the season as well, which is a big blow for us. But if we focus on the punch and situation, I'll start, and I'll start with you, Patches, since we were just talking, was it even that bad a challenge? I didn't think it was that bad, Um Situation is this, you know, he's his back's turned. We take a penalty kick, we miss. All of a sudden, you see De Bruyne running out, heading towards, you know, the, the halfway line. He's got to try and make a tackle um, on the player uh, uh, again. I'm not sure what what more he can do. It was a it was a poor challenge. He's not, I don't think punching. I think punching might even admit he's not a great tackler. You know, he puts himself about a lot, which I like about him, but he's not a great tackler. I think as bad as it was, if it was as bad as it was, like you said, Chris, he would have played the, the next game. Exactly. But the media took it took out of out of proportion to the point where it was it was it was offensive it really was as a passport how little regard they had for our play being out for the you know rest of uh, the season you know yeah bad tackle side and, and the player that they claimed was 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 murdered as you just said played the next game it was it was it was ridiculous again it was not a great tackle but the way they attacked him and some of the comments that people made after even some palace fans about punching was it's just it was ridiculous i mean you know a guy trying to make a play you can't let the one run 80 yards score winning goal so no, he's just—it was really—it was—it just, was, it was, it was just bad. He's committed a foul that, that right. happens professional game foul in, call, game, right? continuous, yeah, continuously. That happens. It's a, it's right. even it's only a yellow card, right? Because you know he's not he's not out of control or anything like that. 
But what he's done, he's done that thing where people say, do it. Take one from the team. Stop the exactly. break. Exactly. Yep. It happens, happens a lot against us because we're a team that goes goes for breaks, you know. We, we play on the counter quite a lot. So we, we sit all the time on Wilf. You know, there's everyone's got a piece of Wilf's shirt every time he tries to run anywhere. So exactly. you, have, you have this whole situation of he's done what, what no one, you know, nothing uncommon about what he's done. It just happens that De Bruyne is the media darling at the moment. But, you know, worse, worse than the fact they're ignoring the, 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 the stuff that happened to our players getting injured. Worse, it was the performance was kind of written off by, you know, a large number of people on social media. But also the media in general was kind of written off as a, you know, it's one of those anti-football kind of performances, wasn't it? Exactly. Well, it wasn't. We went toe to toe with them. We should have won the game. You know, uh, okay, they were they were, you know, they're a better team than us. I can not have a problem admitting that. But we tactically, you know, Hodgson did them absolutely did a fantastic job of them. Brilliant. You know, everyone played brilliantly. You think how knackered they were. You know, some of those players just been playing out of their skins with you know next to no energy. They're playing on fumes, yet. The entire focus is on poor old Kevin De Bruyne, who's got a little bruised shin. Um, I'm gonna, my head's gonna explode. Les, you go. Right. The thing with Punchin, he's not played for how long? Um, he's Palace boy. He's obviously captain. He's keen. He's rusty. Um, I don't think he's a dirty player. I don't think it was a dirty game. So it wasn't as if you know tackles. Uh, we were building up to something big happening. I don't think it was malicious. It was poorly timed. Um, I think it's a mixture of the speed of how City counter, um, the fact that Punchin's not a great tackler, obviously. You know, he's been a winger most of his career until the last few years. Um, and I think that's just a rusty guy who's trying to make an impression to try and get back in the team. And, yeah, he's completely mistimed it and it wasn't a great tackle. But I could, you know, there's, there's two-footed tackles going in all over the place in the Premier League this season. I cannot believe press reaction to it and the, the, the most disappointing thing was was that game of football was one of the most exciting games of the season that you won't see goals in and it yeah. was a great advert for football all over the world and the press should have been you know championing what a great game of football that was what an advert that was to the Premier League for excitement for ups and downs for an end-to-end for action but they just concentrated on a mistimed tackle because they thought that Kevin De Bruyne had fractured his body all over the place from that tackle but um, you know it, it's ridiculous funny thing is when Gazza did it in the what was it 1990 FA Cup semi-final yeah. everyone felt he was a hero and a darling and cried with him but um, you know it's a bit of a drastic and who, and who, comparison and who thinks about Gary Charles eh no one <laughs> <laughs> no no exactly no but um, yeah it was it was it was embarrassing the reaction from the press and some Palace fans, as you quite rightly pointed out. But, you know, it was a mistimed tackle. There's, I'm trying to think. There's been a couple of... Who's it? Deli Alley? Yeah. Oh um, God, who's yeah. the others? There's and been Harry some, Kane as well. Harry Kane. Harry Kane. Punch and scissors snapped him out, right? And if you look at it closely, he kind of pulls out at the last minute. So it's not as if he's intentionally doing it. He's, it's either mistimed or he's just trying to bring him down and stop the attack. But you see people like Deli Alley stamping on the middle of people's legs. To physically break it, you know that that that's what needs stamp stamping out the game. Pardon the pun, you know <laughs> that's that's embarrassing the way that Punchin's uh, tackle was 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 handled by the press um, and the fact that 
I've seen some publications saying how it's karma that he's injured for the season. Oh, yeah, that's disgusting. Who, who was that? I'm trying to think off the top of my head again. I saw it on Twitter. There was, someone tweeted it was karma. Was it, it was the Sun? A, it, it was a Sun journalist, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't need to say much about those guys, but that, that was just in, incredible. It was embarrassing, the witch hunt against Punchin because of that tackle. But, um, talking, of witch hunt, talking of witch hunts, so Tim... Um, it wasn't just Punchin who, who got all that stick. We've had a, 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 an extreme, extreme reaction to Wilfred Zaha and being called a diver. And I, I'll be honest, because I've looked, I've looked at other clubs. I mean, people like you know Shane Long. I'll, I'll use an example of a player who has, has always wound me up with his diving. And you know, he has a tactic of what he does, which is he, he uses his pace to get his body across the defender and then he stops running during, yeah. during you know, and, yeah. and obviously the defender can do nothing but collide with him, you know, and that's, and that gets given as a penalty. And I find to me, that's cheating. Right. Uh, but I, but I look at when he, whichever club he happens to be playing for when he does that, you know, all the fans are like, well, he's running at pace. He's getting contact. You know, you can't deny it's a penalty. So I think, I think to myself, am I, am I stupid by thinking that Wilf has never dived no, ever in his life, I don't. I, I genuinely believe that. I believe he's he understands, like most professional footballers do, that if you get contact in a box and you don't go to the ground, you will not be given a penalty. That's a fact. That's just referees do not give penalties if players aren't knocked to the ground. You know that's exactly. exactly. You know, I mean, so, yeah, that, that's what it's all about. I mean, if if you ever saw a situation where a player tried to stay on his feet and then lost the ball, and then the referee points to the spot and gives a penalty, then you'd say fair play to the referee, and, and then that's what we'd encourage every forward player to do moving forwards. But the reality is that never happens. If a player doesn't go down, he will never get a penalty. Um, I mean, I watched the, the Chelsea game the other night, Chelsea-Arsenal. I mean, Jack Wilshere absolutely dived. Um, he threw himself to the ground, but I've not seen anything made of that. Yet with Wilfred Zaha, it's every every team we play. It's you know the opposition, uh, the Bournemouth game because he got two penalties in that game. So Eddie Howe comes out and basically says that he, not in so many words, he said he's cheated um, or you know he, he's dived, and it, it's just ridiculous because when you see how many fouls not given um, outside the penalty area as well, yeah. I just find it unbelievable the amount of times he's pushed off the ball, uh, and it's just judged to be. Uh, a fair challenge. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Well, that Sterling foul as well, the one that sort of sparked it all off. You know, first of all, let's let's ignore not ignore the fact that Sterling's fouled him three times before he's got to the area by pulling his shirt and trying to clip his ankles, right? But yeah. Wilf's too strong for him and actually gets away from him a bit. But then you can actually see, and mysteriously, this picture was only used by Palace fans, but, you know, you've got Raheem Sterling holding Wilf's hand <laughs> and pushing him in the throat, basically. To knock him to the ground, you know yeah. what? What? <laughs> what else do you want? Um, go, on, Patrick. And ironically, it's the same kind of fouls that Sterling always gets for penalties. If you watch how Sterling plays, Sterling's a lot like Wolf in the way he plays his build, etc. And he'll always, you know, ride a challenge, you know, get hit and fall down, which is the same what happens with Wolf. So I don't know why I've, I've yet to hear, or well, I've yet to hear a campaign against Sterling as being a diver. Whereas, like you just said, I think it really started, honestly, this season with, um, with Eddie Howe. He kind of planted the seed. And then it really is just, it just exploded since then. But Eddie Howe, I think, was the one that really started it. And then after that, every media idiot pundit decided to jump on the bandwagon. 
even up to today. Some guy on Sunday Supplement mentioned it again today. And I was really glad to see, uh, you know, the, the owner uh, perished on Friday night, you know, defending Wolf. Because, again, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, again, it's the same exact way that 90% of the players are going, you know, 80 miles an hour running into a box are going to go down when you touch. You can't, it's hard to stay on your feet. And calling him a diver is very, very unfair. Yeah, I mean, and also the referees, it's quite clear for me that referees obviously talk to one another in their sessions that they have, and they must be all discussing Wilfred Zaha saying, Agreed. Yep. you know, don't don't give any free kicks or anything cheap against him because he's always going to go down looking for the foul. Because you can just tell by their reaction when they look at him and just sort of wave play on. Um, there's definitely an agenda out there, and you, you know... <sighs> I don't know whether it's just the big club mentality thing where if it's um, Hazard of Chelsea, you know, we're going to give a penalty. And if it's Crystal Palace, we're not going to. I don't know. But I, I just don't know what the answer is. I just it's, do not know. There's very little you can actually do about it. You know, again, I talked about it in the last uh, last review show we did. And, and you know, it, it affected things at the Southampton game. Not only was Wilf not getting certain fouls, which were really clear, but also Wilf had changed. He was trying to stay on his feet so much more than, than he usually does. So, because there was one who was running across the field, he got absolutely clattered in the ankles, but he kept running. It took him about, you know, sort of 15, 20 yards before he finally fell over. He was trying that hard to stay on his feet. And you think, well, that's... That's um, the media flipping out on some rubbish that people are talking. Has actually made Wilfred Zaha have, have to adjust his game when he's an honest professional who plays the game the way it should be. He's just too good for people. Les, I think there's two levels to the whole structure of is it a dive or isn't it a dive? There's people who do dive as in like there's no contact or they, they jump before the players even got near them. Um, Jack Wilshire obviously um, did a fine example of that. Um, we see that in the Premier League every other week where a player, you know, doesn't get touched and goes down. That's a dive um, and that part of the game needs to be eradicated. And then there's there's a middle level, in my opinion, which is where a player is touched and there's a question about have they gone down easy? Could they stay on their feet? And I think Will falls into the higher end of that category. You know, some people think he goes down too easy. He's he's never dived as in like there's never been any contact. It's always been a question of could he have stayed on his feet? But for me, you don't realise how hard it is to stay on your feet when you're running that fast. I mean, you have, I know you're an athlete and you run very fast. Obviously, yeah. Yep. You know yep. what it's like, right? So <laughs> if you're running at the pace that Wilfred Zaha runs at when he's bursting in the box... Try, try and do it. That's my advice to everyone. And let, let someone nudge you on the shoulder and see if you lose your balance, especially when you're you're not concentrating on the line of your run. You're concentrating on what you're going to do with the ball, where you're going to shoot, who's coming in the box. If someone just nudges you when you're running at that pace, you can lose your balance. It, it's, yeah. it, it's humanly possible. These guys aren't walking along, you know. It's it's You can lose your balance if you're, if you're nudged. When you're running at the pace they run at, I've never run at that pace, but, you know, it, I just think he's... There's, there's the question is, does he go down too easily when he's touched? Um, I don't know. You know, Only Wilf can answer that. But one thing he's never done, in my opinion, is what the likes of your Michael Owens did for years, which everyone celebrated when he was obviously playing for England. And, and what Wilshire did, which is to physically dive without any contact. I mean, you, 
You're right, and Go I mean, on, again, you, 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 you know, you bring me into this, and obviously, my tremendous upper body strength, <laughs> as well as as well as my athleticism, <laughs> means it's very hard to knock off the ball. But, uh, you know, but we can't keep looking at the standard that I set. We have to look at these other. <laughs> Funny guys. you say that because um, you talk about upper body strength, and yeah, you know, you're packing it, you know, but. Um, <laughs> We the, the the guy over at um, Talksport Towers, um, Mr. Durham. He's obviously had to be in his bonnet about uh, Wilf for quite a while since he single-handedly relegated uh, Peterborough. Obviously, who's Mr. Durham's team. But Agent Durham's point was he he doesn't he goes down too easy. So maybe he needs to beef up in terms of his strength of his upper body strength. But <laughs> I think we've seen Wilfred Zaha beat enough people off the ball and, and, and have enough strength in his upper body to score and, and to assist the way he has this season. Yeah, he's, he's not he's not a Weasley little man, is he? He's, he's, no, he's, he's I mean, a structured stat man. He's yeah. similar to you and I now. So. Exactly right. <laughs> he is. He is um, yeah, but I think that people need to, to realise that there's two types of argument here. One is, as I say, as a touched in a box, are they going down too easy, or is it natural to lose your balance when you when you you know you touch like that? You see people say people dive because he's only stood on his foot, but again, if someone studs you and stamps on your foot in the box, that's going to hurt. That's going to knock you off balance. Um, but the real the real issue is people like Jack Wilshere who physically dived when there was absolutely no contact. So yeah. I think it's just a bit of an unfair agenda that the press have created with Zaha. It's um yeah. So unfortunately, I don't think there's no flaw we can do, it. Patrick. Yeah, and lastly, um, it's ironic that um Zaha has uh, got three penalties this year, same amount as Calvert Lewin, and of course Raheem Sterling. And again, <laughs> neither one of those two have been called divers. No, no. And you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what Les is getting at as well. You know, we you can see things where players will stick out a leg for the contact. Um. Again, and yeah. also I get frustrated when there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on contact at the feet. That's Vardy, by the way, does that a lot, a lot. Yeah, it, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. you know, you're getting long, you're right. I mean, yeah, you're right. A lot of guys just do that and get the contact, and then they go down. Um, but again, I think we go back to to if you look at the referee and you go back to that and you say, you know what, show people that they don't have to fall to the floor when they're fouled to get a penalty. People will stop falling on the floor and you'll be able to pick out the ones who are trying to get contacts, you know. But there we go. It's it's a difficult one and it will rage on. And, you know, we've seen it with AJ in the past when we were in the in the top division previously and he got called a diver and it just got worse and worse and worse and we were denied clear penalties. I really hope it doesn't end up costing us this season, but it's already had an effect, which uh, frustrates me. Let's get, to, let's get talking a little bit about the squad in, in general then, really. Uh, obviously, we've had... We, I think we kind of laughed earlier on in the season with the number of centre backs we signed, but we're we're struggling. We're struggling again. It looks like we're probably going to have to go and get one in the, in the transfer window with Scott Dan out for the season. Um, obviously, Mamadou Sacco, Sacco is you know, several weeks away from from being fit. Um, Martin Kelly's come in and done a good job, which has been a, a huge bonus for us. But you know, our current centre back partnership is Kelly, who barely plays. And uh, Tompkins, who's being managed sort of game by game to remain fit to play, and he's been superb. But again, injury-wise, he's very prone. So we've got, we've got to do something there. Um, and obviously, we've all talked about the fact that the keeper situation needs addressing, and looks like we're going to be doing that. And clearly, we've got issues in the forward line. But we also start talking about midfielders as well now. So there's all sorts of people we've been linked with. But before we get into talking about names of those sorts of people. Um, I do want to do, do very, very quickly mention 
the job. I want to pick out Luca in particular. There was some stats that came out after the Southampton game that in in two effectively in playing those two games in a couple of days, he ran a total of something in the region of twenty eight kilometers. <laughs> it's a marathon, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Uh, let's not forget, you know, he, he's he scored the winner against Southampton as well, and had missed the penalty against City, so he got almost immediate sort of redemption and, and how much it meant to him. But he's well, Patrick. What what a player he's turned out to be for us. Yeah, I'm a big big fan. Uh, I like it. I love his emotion after he scores goals. Um, you tell it's so much it means to him, and uh, he's a great player. You know, we've had a debate, you know, in our little chat about Jedi versus uh, Luca, and they're just different players. I mean. People forget, again, you had mentioned to Chris how long Jedi took to settle in. But once he settled in, he was a tremendous leader. And, and, I, and I can see that in Luca. But Luca's just an overall better footballer. He just is. And he's a great player. I just love what he does. Uh, the funny thing, he started off really poorly beginning of the season. I think it was obviously because of where the ball chose to play him, which is in a, ba- in, a, in a back three, which is amazing to think about it now, <laughs> where he's playing now. But he's just a, you know, penalty, penalties and just his overall, again, his work rate is, is, is amazing. He's a great pass of the ball. I love the way he, when he pings the ball. 34 yards in here, and he's been a great pickup. And again, he's underrated because he wasn't, you know, people didn't know who he was when he was, you know, before he came here necessarily. And um, you know, he was playing Champions League and he was captain, I believe, of Olympia Cup before he got here. So I mean, he had a bit of reputation, but I personally had never heard of him. But he's also he's really proven to be a tremendously really good buy for us. He really has been. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I bring him up, but obviously there's an awful lot of heroes uh, over that Christmas period. Tim, anyone that you would pick out over Christmas who's either surprised you? or uh, you've been particularly impressed with? Uh, I think James MacArthur. Um, he obviously had his problems at the end of last season with fitness and, and the injuries that he suffered with. But this year, I mean, he, he always seems to be the guy that we always say, oh, he could be the next one to be replaced. But he just seems to come back fighting. And I just think his performances in recent weeks, I mean, he's certainly calm in front of goal. That's one thing for sure. He's one of those players that you really do kind of, I mean, like um, in the game against City when Townsend had that chance, I thought if that was James MacArthur, you'd fancy him to put it away. Um, he's just got that composure and, and just his work rate and, and being in the right place at the right time. And he's just been absolutely superb along with Luca um, in midfield. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Absolutely right. Um, you know, Again, I think it's easy to forget Someone like MacArthur, when he, you know, when he was out on the side, it was easy to forget what he brings. And you know, you brought it up there. He, he did struggle a bit with injuries, and we kind of, we kind of, you know, I'd almost written him off. I'd almost thought to myself, you know, we got we got him at his peak, and he's now on the decline. But 
he's really come in and, and done a tremendous job. And now it's a difficult one as to whether or not we uh, we keep him in this side. Well, I'd be gutted to lose him now. I'll be honest, because there was a time when we said, you know, it'd probably want to be one of the first players to go. Um, but I think we'd be silly to lose him now. I think he's just so important to that team and the team spirit and and the fight in the middle of the pitch. And uh, he's definitely someone we need to keep in the in the side um, for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, what about yourself, Liz? Anyone in particular over this Christmas period who's uh, who you want to highlight? Yeah, I've got to echo Tim, really. I, I think James MacArthur. Um, just before this period, I saw a lot of people questioning um, whether he should be in and around the team. Um, I think what he brings is probably a lot more than what we actually see as fans. I can imagine him being really sort of infectious with his energy. Um, you know, Scottish Braveheart sort of mentality seems to seems to portray on the pitch. He obviously, he covers space, he runs, he scores goals, he gets in good positions. Um, you know, he's tenacious in the tackle. He's he's kind of an all-round midfielder and he's waited patiently for his chance and he's scored some key goals for us. Um, and I think we need to sign him up on his contract ASAP. I think it's it's bad that he's, you know, six months into his, the end of his deal, um, even if before, obviously, his recent spate of form. But I just think he's been fantastic and I imagine he's good around the young players as well. He's He's... Kind of like the dying breed of a, a footballer. You'd imagine he's got a good attitude on and off the pitch, um, and you know a good senior pro for the for the youngsters as well. And again, just you kind of imagine he's infectious and he brings a bit of energy to the team when he does play. Um, Tompkins, obviously, when he has been in the team, has been a great performer for me this season. And Martin Kelly as well deserves some special credit because. He's one of those guys that comes in and does a job solidly every time, whether that's left back, right back, or centre back, and those type of versatile squad players um, are vital for a, a, a team like Palace, who are always going to have quite a thin squad and a lot of injuries. Um, I think he's been outstanding. Again, he's Martin Kelly is the type of player that you imagine does a great job off the pitch as well. He's obviously a senior pro. He's been at Liverpool, he's been in the England squad, he's, you know, I think he even went to a World Cup, I think, at one point when he was a bit younger, but, you know, this guy's obviously an experienced pro, he's been around the block, so he, he knows, he's probably, again, a good a good sort of role model for the for the younger players that hopefully are going to come through. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, um, so those two have been, those for two, three have been great. Um, Fosu Mentor's another, in, another interesting one at right back, obviously, Um you know, he's had some rough games, but he's had some really good games. I think it's Man City. He looked outstanding to the point where Man U fans are asking for him to come back. Yeah. That's um, a strange which is interesting. Point. Yeah, because you kind of had Palace fans trying to send him back and Man U fans trying to take him back. But look, the guy the guy needs to run a games at right back. He's young. He's, you know, he's, he's here to play football, but he's obviously a talented player. Um, and when he's, you know, he's been given a run of games and he's since obviously um, Ward's been injured and, the Man City game was was an incredible performance, I think, and full-back positions are key for me. I think left full-back is still a massive problem. We, you know, I've been quite vocal about Allardyce's distribution of the, the money and that side of the pitch last season, but for me, there's no it's no coincidence that Man City are excelling this season with after spending what hundred of million on fullbacks. Um, I think the role of fullbacks in the current modern day formation is key. And Fosu Mensa is apparently the fastest player in our team as well, which is incredible when you think the likes of Zaha and, and Townsend and 
and Hambo and what have you in the, in the squad. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think um, his ability to get up and down the line and, and learn defensively alongside the experienced pros of Saka and Kelly, you know, he, he, I think he's had a couple of good games and he could have a good second half of the season if he, if he stays in the team. I think Joel Ward's coming back to fitness now, so it'll be interesting what happens there because Ward's started to play well as well. Yeah, yeah again, it goes, goes back to the thing we've, we've talked about an awful lot about having competition for places and I guess yeah. that's what this window is going to be all about. Patrick, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, I actually want to give a little um, shout-out again to Hodgson. His manipulation or use of the sword has been brilliant over this period. Um, you know, I'm a big Sproni fan, but I think the change he made from Sproni to Ren Hennessy for the Man City game against further the pitch was a very big, you know, it was it was it was a really tactically excellent decision by him. You know, the way he brought MacArthur in uh to you know as sub at some time for Kabai, where he's been Anholt for Schlupp at the end of matches and Sacco turned this around the game away. I just wanna I really think he's done a really good job you know, as a manager over this period. Because again, we don't have a very deep squad. He does not sub very often. Most he'll sub you in a match maybe two players, sometimes three. Obviously gonna do three, but a lot of times it's like one or two subs and he does it at certain times and he's very I think he has a plan A and a plan B, so even a plan C. I think just over this period he's done a really, really good job with our players. I wanna give him you know just give him credit for that. Yeah, I'm rightly nominated for for manager of the month. He's, I, I just, I like exactly. the fact that you know, and even you know, even I had reservations when we appointed him. You know, you you can't help but sometimes almost. I definitely did, that, by the way. Yeah, all that all that stuff that's you know, the fact that England lost to Iceland and how mad people went over it. You know, his spell at Liverpool wasn't particularly successful, but you know, it was absolutely right to look at the similar clubs to us that he's managed and how successful he was there and how well thought of he was there. And it's, I feel so good for him being able to shove it back <laughs> in people's faces. Exactly, Even that yeah. first time, the first win of the season when we beat Chelsea, seeing him sit there with a smile on his face and talk about how happy, <laughs> you know, I felt so good. Yeah. He's been getting slapped. They've been doing that thing and they've posted stupid pictures of various faces he was making during games and, you know, taking just take, taking the piss out of him. And this is a guy... He's got an unbelievable managerial record. When you look at the the sort of the number of different clubs he's managed in a number of different you know leagues all around the world, you know internationally and at club level, he's been successful. It's just so disrespectful the way he gets talked about, and now people are having to to very much eat humble pie. And I hope it continues. Um, I'm going to run us through a, a, f- a few names uh, from the, the the transfer rumors before we go. Just looking at a couple of positions, I'll start with the goalkeeper position, if I may. So the, the key ones we're being linked to at the moment, uh, Bartosz Bialkowski, who plays for Ipswich. Uh, I'll come back to in a second. Really strong uh, rumours that we're signing Vicente Gauita, who's, again, not a goalkeeper I've ever seen play, I don't think. 30 years old, uh, currently at Getafe. Um and it was left out of a recent game and, and it's been talked about that he's in England and it's either going to be us or Watford, apparently, that he'll sign for. So uh, interesting stuff there. Again, not someone I know about. I do know a little bit more about Bartos, but uh, Bielkowski, other than I can't pronounce his name. Um, I've, uh, Ipswich fan works for me. Um, and he has said, it's a little bit like how Spironi got the um, player of the year sometimes because there was absolutely nobody anywhere near as good as him. He wasn't even close. <laughs> and, uh, and he said the same thing. He's like, please, please don't buy him. Just, he's all we've got. <laughs> so um, they, he's very well thought of at Ipswich and has been making some uh, some fantastic saves down there uh, for the last couple of years in particular. So um, 
I'll throw, throw that out to you, gents. So again, you might not know anything about these guys, but any of those signings particularly inspiring to you, Patrick? I'm a bit spoiled, Chris. Um, I have access to every single league over here. I can watch Spanish, Italian. I just don't watch them. So I, I couldn't tell you a thing about the Spanish keeper. I've actually seen the Ipswich keeper play. We can also get access to the championship over here. And he, he's decent. If I had to choose between the two based on just general knowledge, I would probably pick the Spanish keeper. Because he looks like he's a, I watched a couple of, you know, you have, everybody goes to the YouTube videos. I did a little bit of that last couple of days. He looks he looks decent. The fact that he's on a decent team at Getafe, I, I have a little bit of thing for European keepers over here. You know, you've got your De Gea, the Lorises. Those guys seem to adjust after a while and do very well over here for the most part. So I'd lean towards him. But as you said, um, the Ipswich keeper is, is I think he's a decent keeper. So we need a third keeper regardless. And he might become our number one keeper. I'm not uh, bothered with either one, just as long as we get somebody in. And is it something, something you think desperately we should do in, in January? And the, the fact that we need another central defender shouldn't really stop us doing that, right? In my opinion, I would go, honestly, I would go centre-forward first because I think we need competition, as Les mentioned, for, for Menteke and Wickham's a, a ways away. i go keeper second. i go defender third, honestly, because I think Hyro High, and Force Messick are cover in a, in, a, in a real pinch, as long as Kelly, Tompkins, and uh, we'll be okay. And honestly, Chris, if you watch him play, he's a bit slow for a central defender. I love him in, in central midfield. I love him as a holding midfielder. But I just I watch him play his movement. It's not great. As, but again, it might work out. Who knows? But you're right. He would be another one in the pinch, obviously. And again, I think that the midfielder you were talking about, either a, probably a wide play would be my fourth option. I think if we get a goalie defender and strike, I'd be very happy with this window. Very happy. All right. Tim? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of goalkeeper, it, it's certainly not as desperate now as it was perhaps start of the season. I think the fact that we've now got competition for places, um, I mean, Wayne Hennessy, his couple of games, you couldn't fault him, to be honest. And we wouldn't have said that at the start of the season. And obviously, Spironi's not let us down either. So, yeah, I suppose we probably did need a third goalkeeper. But whereas at the start of the season, we were crying out for that position to be filled, uh, I'm not so sure now. And, and typically, we, we've got the centre-back to sort of probably cover now, which is an added one to the, you know, we were just going to go for a striker and a keeper. Now the centre-back's become a bit more vital because of um, the injuries that we've had. Although, like, like it's been said on this show already, Martin Kelly's come in, done a fantastic job. Uh, but yeah, you, we probably do need cover if, if he was to get injured or or Tompkins, and we probably would, uh, you know, would struggle there. But yeah, Riedervall's another one that sort of come in, and I'd like to see more of him as well. So there are a couple of players there that, you know, have been given a little run out and perhaps we'll see a bit more of them. All right, Tim, and while, I, while I've got you, I'll leave, I'll talk to strikers about, uh, to talk to Les about strikers in just a minute. So I'll talk to you about uh, the, the um, centre-back slash central midfielder we've been linked, we can link to in Ibrahim Amadou. Uh, is it good enough that I want us to sign him just so we can sing Amadou? Do, do? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. That, I just knew that was that, coming. Is that, is that enough reason? Often it's a perfect reason, absolutely right, okay. perfect reason. Um, someone we were actually linked to him last summer, if I, if I remember rightly. Um, he's someone who knows, I think probably knows Soiree. Um, and they both played for Lille anyway, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, you know, you talk about, but again, you're talking about a player who's currently playing as a central defensive midfielder but can play centre back. Um, is that us trying to cover sort of two positions, or should we be looking? A specialist? Would you rather we look someone as someone who plays week in, week out as a centre back? Well, I mean that that was the problem with Luca at the start of the season, wasn't it? When um, 
because he had the the kind of defensive qualities, he was then pushed pushed back with De Boer. Um, he pushed him back in for a more defensive role. It didn't really suit him. Um, I'm not so sure if I'm honest. I mean, like, like I said, I think we do need cover at the moment. That's that's the problem. I I think the good thing is now we've got ourselves in a position with 22 points where. You know, and we're we're playing really, really decent football at the moment. We're not. It's, we haven't got to panic so much as perhaps we would have done if we were, say, six points short of what we got at the moment. So, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to sort of buy the first pad that comes out there. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know too much about this guy, um, Amadou, if I'm honest. Um, but you know, and and it's one of those when it comes to transfers, I try not to get too kind of heart set on some of these players because they generally don't work out. So it's easier to look them up once they've actually, uh, they're holding the shirt up in front of you. Absolutely right. It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because again, not one of us would have been able to say a word, as as Patrick said earlier, about Luka Milivojevic. (laughs) Exactly. But now he's, now we all know what he's about and how good he is. So um, now there's a, there's a lot of players been linked, but I mean, he looks like the strongest one that has been linked in terms of a centre back. So, um, it's, it's you know interesting times. So like you say, it's one of those where you know we might only know if it works out once he starts playing for us. Really, um, you know, it's hard to hard to judge before then. I'm going to throw some names at you, Les, in terms of uh, some strikers. Go on, I'm used to having names thrown at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the I'm going to do them in order that they're currently listed on on the, on the list on the DBS. I promise at. you, I'm not uh, right on Google right now about to type. Go on, <laughs> Lee Griffiths. Lee Griffiths from Celtic. Yeah. Would he? Um, yes. Another, yeah. another, another crack at the Premier League. He wasn't great for Wolves, but he's had a lot of, uh, yeah. lot of time since then. Yeah, um, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd prefer the other chap up there, though, Dembele, especially if yeah. we get him from under the um, Brighton noses. Well, I've, um, I've read, I mean, apparently the Brighton bid was going to be something like 16 million or something like that. Jesus, I've, I've really? read Celtic want forty million for him. Did I? Well, uh, yeah. Listen, to be let's be honest, Dembele, he's been linked with some big European teams. Would he come to Brighton or Crystal Palace if we take our Crystal Palace glasses off, or would he be better off? He's probably thinking maybe have another year at Celtic, and there's a chance of a an AC Milan or a French team coming in for him. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's a lot of money. But again, you're talking about a guy who's Played a few games in the Championship with Fulham and then gone up and scored goals in the Scottish Premier League. But, you know, I, I could probably score goals up there. So <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some different names, but I wouldn't turn them names down. I think we need a different type of striker to well, Benteke. Um, well, Rumours today that uh, we're going to go back in for Nias from Everton since they've signed oh, really? our, for, our former target, uh, Shank Soton from... Uh, He's our he's the typical Crystal Palace striker that we've had over the years. Um he's never gonna score a ton of goals, but can he come back can he come to us after what happened? Yeah, you know, his his agent was obviously a bit of a you know, last transfer window. He had a run in with us, obviously when, when we played Everton. Um I don't know. There's got to be better out there, surely. Well, you know, we're talking about divers, <laughs> Tim. Yeah, yeah. This will what? take the heat off Starhar a bit if he comes to us and <laughs> well, himself around the box. Funny thing is, um, Steve Parrish was talking about Niassi the other day um, on Sky Sports on the on the debate. And he was saying how 
he thought that he was harshly dealt with over the, yeah. the diving incident. So it does <laughs> make you wonder. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it does make you wonder. We're going to sign Tom Daly, next, wanna... aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I want to think, Chris, do you know Dembele's only 21 years old? Uh, yes, yes, He's I did. very, very young. So I think, the you know, the... The up, you know, we like to buy players like that, you know, younger and then, you know, sell them on maybe later on. And I think that his age mate, is a huge benefit to us. And I think he's a good player too. So I, between those, I mean, I, I have no problem with the ass beside the diving incident. I think that was terrible, but I like, I like his movement. I like his, uh, you know, the way he, you know, the way he plays, he's a different player than Benteke. But I think that out of, out of those, you know, those, I, I would take them belly, but I think it's going to be hard to, to pay the money they want. They're going to want for him at his age, especially. Absolutely right. All right. Well, um, We'll leave that uh, that there. I'll throw a couple of other names out there because I'm nice like that. But I've heard, you know, obviously suggestions we might be back in for perennial targets, Cooper Babacar. We remember every single transfer window. Uh, Babacar. Kumar Babacar from Fiorentina. Right. Look <laughs> <laughs> <Look> him up. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a suggestion we might be looking at that deal again. He's just one that we've had highlighted as a player that would would work with our kind of setup. So we'll see if we go back for him or not. Great so I, I think that it is a good name. <laughs> I think there's, some, uh, there's always going to be some interesting uh, names thrown out there throughout the course of the window. Most of it will be agent talk and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but without, without all that agent talk, there's going to got to be at least, I'd say, two or three signings minimum for us to, uh, to, to you know get through the rest of this season. And try and keep this level of form up because, as you say, Patrick Hodgson's got the club, you know, playing it, you know, incredibly well. We've, we've the run of form we've had. If you think we've only lost to Arsenal in is it eleven games? I think it is. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And you look at some of the games we've had to play in the middle of that, and how often we had to play over Christmas. Obviously, it was similar for everyone else, but you know, I always feel we're more hard, hard done by than others, and particularly when you look at the Southampton game, which again. We have covered this, but they had an extra day's rest. And for 70 minutes of the, of the 90, we really did look dead on our feet. We somehow found that little bit of energy. And another perhaps unsung hero in, uh, in Bakary Sacco, who really did change the game yeah. when he came on against Southampton. But uh, I think that's enough for you now. We'll be back to our regular programming, as in our live show uh, next Sunday, I believe. And of course, Terence has also brought back the preview show already. He's previewed the Brighton game, which again, lads, we were going to perhaps have a chat about that, but I guess probably a bit too late to do that now since we've enjoyed our conversation so much. We've gone on too long, so um, <laughs> so we'll we'll uh, leave that leave you to go and check out Terence's preview show, and obviously we'll be previewing previewing our match against Burnley. Am I right? Is it Burnley after this? Yep. Yes, it is. Next Saturday, yep. I know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we'll be previewing that in midweek as well. So make sure you subscribe in all the usual places. Thank you very much for listening today. See you again soon. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. 
Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.